0: a special edition of our show Herstory on the rocks with Katie and Allie. Normally just be Allie and I hanging out with a couple of cocktails talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about famous women in history. We have a very special guest here with us today, Oline Eaton.
1: Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
2: We're excited to have you too. Olen is a scholar of biographical writing and a writer of creative nonfiction whose work focuses on the intersection of celebrity, feelings, feminism, language, and trauma. She's currently teaching at Howard University and is here today to talk with us about her book, Finding Jackie, A Life Reinvented. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Um, well, I, I was originally born in Memphis. I moved all over the South when I was a kid. So I went to school in Nashville and Atlanta. I went to undergrad in Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State, and then lived in Chicago for a long time and did my PhD in London. Um, but I grew, I think, crucial to, to understanding how this book came to be is I grew up in a house full of thwarted artists and collectors and writers and readers and so i have some amazing parents that when i was 12 in the summer of 1994 and made my announcement at dinner in the taco bell that i was going to start collecting jackie kennedy magazines they did not laugh at me and were completely supportive and i am forever grateful to them for that <laughs>
0: <That's Perfect>. awesome <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into your book um we are going to talk about the cocktail we made for your book Bye. Uh, so this is obviously called Finding Jackie. And so years and years ago, we did an episode about Jackie. And, you know, we made this very, like, sophisticated rose cocktail. And then your book kind of talks about the other side of Jackie, this kind of more bohemian side. So I was like, I'm going to take that cocktail <laughs> and I'm going to dump some Corona in it. Uh, <laughs> so this cocktail is Gin. A little bit of rose liqueur. Definitely don't want to do too much of that. Lemon juice. And then you top it with a, a Corona beer. So wow. cheers. cheers.
1: cheers. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Ah, it's very refreshing. It's really cool. <laughs> Rose <laughs> and Corona. I did not think it would go yeah. well, but it does. You know. <laughs>
2: Okay, so before we dive in, we're going to try and kind of set the scene for what's going on with Jackie. Obviously, people know a ton about Jackie O, but mostly on a surface level. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you chose to organize your book and like the way that you were going to tell Jackie's story?
1: So I should say I've been with this story for like thirty years since yeah. I was a kid and I, when she died. When she died the long ride. Um so I but the, the story for me has remained the same. I was really attracted to the that disconnect between the classy cocktail and the cocktail with a beer thrown in. Yeah. Uh, and there were there were glimpses of that story in the news reporting around her death, but she was just always it was dignity, class, great, style all these really boring words that I wasn't interested in. And then this Greek name and these references to her having lived abroad. And uh so I was very, even just, you know, as a 12 or 13 year old girl, I was really, I wanted that story and it would pop up a little bit in some of the books, but I wasn't, I couldn't find it. So I've, I feel like I've written the book for that 12 year old girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so i when i started to do my phd i read i don't know if you all are familiar with Hilary mantel's a place of greater safety it's her french revolution novel <laughs> um ruthlessly chronological and i think that's kind of the structure of the book is very fiercely after the original um sort of flashback uh it's very fiercely chronological and reading Hilary mantel's French Revolution novel kind of brought that to the forefront of. I well, this is actually quite important to get a sense of how someone's story folds when you're when you don't know what's going to happen next.
0: Mm-hmm. And I love because you open up the book with kind of talking about how you found your interest in Jackie. As you said, you're 12 years old; she's dying, and Hillary Clinton is the first lady at the time. So, what was that also like having just kind of? They seem a little opposite to me of how they are received by the public. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your mindset when you're kind of discovering her and comparing her to Hillary?
1: Yeah, and I have written an academic article about this. I I now, as an adult, have come to see the reaction, the emphasis on class, dignity, all that stuff as a reaction to Hillary Clinton. That's mm-hmm. what I say. It was like the deification of this woman who was never silent, who did speak and gave interviews, but suddenly she was the silent goddess. I think that's directly rooted in the contemporary Discussion of Hillary. um you know, as a kid, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a silent goddess. I'm going to figure this out. This is, this is how you got to be to be loved. It was, it genuinely was one of the first times I'd seen a woman in the public sphere who was beloved. And so I was like, okay, this is, and she was just kind of wild looking. I thought I, she was not immediately, obviously incredibly attractive or beautiful in any sort of conventional sense. And so there was that as well as a quirky looking kid. So I was like, oh, okay, this, this is possible. I don't hope to be first lady anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> that did seem like the highest thing you could do as a woman in America. And, and if, if she could do it and was smart and had all these things that I, I grew up Southern Baptist and these really rigid Christian fundamental evangelical communities. And so like as a girl, you were not supposed to be there really. Um, and so she seemed to provide a template for navigating that world, but also getting out of it.
2: Yeah. And she does seem to be full of so many contradictions. She's known, like you said, as this hugely classy um, goddess-esque of a first lady. But then she would write things like, if I were a young man, I'd be an archaeologist and go. How? It, what's her balance like as a person?
1: I mean, that line is just so gutting. It was gutting to me when I found it in the archive. It's still just every every kind of slices me open. Um I mean, I think it's important that deification was not there at the time, mm-hmm. but she was, yeah, she was very controversial. They were all like, oh, my gosh, she's not wearing stockings. She's going, the, she's, going she's a beatnik going bare legged. I mean, it was really, it was really surprising. Uh And I think there were, there were a lot of people who admired her and were, and, and again, were drawn to her and wanted to fashion their lives after her. Um, but it was, she was pretty controversial. And so that, that deification really comes later on. And throughout the 60s and 70s, she was very controversial. Mm -hmm. So that, I think, got wiped away. Mm -hmm. And, and the 90s and stuff when, after she died, when there was this, this silent god thing -hmm. that was, that was put in place. Um, but I think, I mean, she's such a power, like a powerful figure of history and women's history and American history. And, um, I think John Kerry was senator at the time when she died. He said she lived every single thing a woman could do, Mm -hmm. every single position you could have, every single relationship you could occupy. She had that. And it was really, really powerful for people watching her, I think, Um, just to see her navigating that, whether they liked her or not. Uh, I'm very curious to see people who don't like her reading the book and if, or if the book makes people not like her, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I have a friend who read it and was like, she's so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) like, Like, sorry yeah she got deaf
0: yeah <laughs> well one of the things I love about your book is that you know most biographies of her would again kind of gear towards the deification mm-hmm. and they'd include her a lot of her official portraits maybe these really glamorous photos of her mm-hmm. looking perfect and you chose to include the tabloid covers which was shocking for me because sometimes I forget that like you're saying like when she was first lady like very controversial. She's in the press all the time. She kind of reminded me like of a little bit of like a Princess Diana Mm -hmm. of like people are just talking about her non-stop. So I want to know how did you choose the tabloid covers? Where did you find them and what did you learn from them?
1: This comes back to 1994 and me being the the coolest 13-year-old anyone ever met. Um, So my family, we would go to antique stores. My mom was looking for Rosenthal China. My dad was—I don't know what he was looking for. We all had our like thing. Yeah, and, and I had—I mean, this is way pre-internet. Life magazine in 1994 had printed a memorial edition of their magazine for Jackie, and on the back of it, they had all the Life magazine covers, like all 16 of them. Got my dad's magnifying glass, and i, I looked, looked up the date. And I wrote them down and so we would go to the antique stores, there would be mountains of life magazines and I would go through them and I would find, I was, it was, it was like a totally doable hobby to collect 16 magazines. (laughs) (laughs) And then when we, we see these movie magazines around and at the time they were like, they were, they were more expensive because they were like $3 instead of $1.50 or $2. Um, and I started, I, I, once I got all the 16 life magazines, I was like, oh, you know, how many, how many of these can there be? Uh, and now I have, I have many of them. <laughs> there, <laughs> there are like hundreds and hundreds and I hope to put them in an archive somewhere because there's not really a concentrated collection of these available for researchers. Um, and Anne Helen Peterson has done uh, quite a bit of amount of research on, um, the 60s and 70s tabloids. But, uh, yeah, they were, they were fascinating to me, particularly in the 60s and 70s where they do detach from Hollywood and they start doing Jackie Moore, they start doing TV cuz they originally came out of the Hollywood studio system um but they start doing like musician the and and like people who now are like the Lennon sisters I still don't know what the Lennon sisters did I think <laughs> I I I think it had something to do with Lawrence Welk maybe but um like these people who were just influencers in their day and age is what we call them now probably who are or, or c-list celebrities mm-hmm. who were super famous and got written about every month and then there's jackie you know mm-hmm. and this fan fiction about her yeah,
0: so yeah
1: the covers the covers though aren't the grouping thing i think it's it's and it's the headlines we all know like when you're seeing it an article on the internet you don't stop and read it you read the headline oh yeah just <laughs> like just like yeah just like when you're in the aisle at the grocery store and you see in touch or whatever you read the headline and that's the headlines are so powerful because the stories inside have nothing to do with them. Um, but the art and the headlines are what really matters there. Yeah,
0: so I will never forget about John Bonny Ramsey because she's <laughs> at yes. the grocery store in the checkout still yes. every
1: week. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
2: <laughs> so right now, like, and perhaps back then as well, the public persona is really that she dealt with her husband's assassination with such class, and I think. So much so that people tend to forget that she was dealing with PTSD and a severe amount of trauma. How do you think that impacted her personal life versus what she was showing in public?
1: I do like to make a point of calling it a murder, honestly, mm-hmm. because I think assassination, really, that's obviously what we call political murders. But that mm-hmm. kind of... um undercuts what this was like she was sitting next to him she looked in his face as this happened as he was right. shot in the head and, and and he's a victim of gun violence hers is a family that's been repeatedly affected by gun violence i think that's also important to say um and i think i mean talking about how classy someone is at a funeral which yes. absolutely, absolutely that's weird right yes. like they totally did it and they totally you've seen the um the movie the pebble of the rain movie which is written by Noel Oppenheim, who protected Matt Lauer at NBC and thwarted the reporting of Ronan Farrow. So I don't think we should celebrate him at all. But it's basically, he was like, oh, look, there's this other story nobody knew about. And it's uh, an article by Dora Ann Hamblin in the 1963 issue of Life Magazine, the Superior coverage. That's like, Jackie had everything under control. She was controlling all of it. And it's this just kind of dehumanization of experience of grief and and what these people were going through she didn't have it all under control like she she was a great delegator (laughs) delegated all sorts of stuff to people and was obviously privately falling apart and did cry at the service there's one moment in the um the footage of the funeral from that weekend where they play hail to the chief uh and she can be seen to be really distraught on camera but most of it was occurring off camera so people were like she's so stoic she's got it all together And um, I think that's one of the interesting things about the reporting of the movie magazines. Yes, it was probably not like well sourced by members of the Kennedy family or anything like that. Um, But they focus on what it is to be a widow and what it what the grieving process is. And it goes on for quite a while, along with the fact that like three months later, she should be getting married. But. But there's dwelling on the fact that there's one, I think that's like, my mommy cries all the time, which is something that Caroline Kennedy told one of her teachers. Uh, but it's just pages and pages of Jackie being mournful at home. And again, total fan fiction. But that's useful for people who are experiencing widowhood and are grieving. And that's such a stigmatized experience still in our country and in the world. Um, and so I think that almost the, the media presentation of it I think has been quite harmful and kind of gives the sense that you shouldn't cry at funerals. You shouldn't openly grieve. You need your mourning period can be a year and then you need to move on, um, which is how that trickles down into society and the way we deal with loss as well.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because Katie and I also did an episode on Mary Todd Lincoln, who mm. is treated the exact opposite. Like she's hysterical and a crazy person. So it's mm-hmm. like there is no happy medium yeah. for a woman. Yeah. Either you're hysterical or, you know, it's like it doesn't yeah. it, it doesn't shake out well.
1: Yeah. And I think that that same response is what she gets with the William Manchester book when it comes out. And they're like, she's trying to copyright the assassination. It's like it's the worst day ever of her whole life. Like right. it's a horrible personal thing. And actually the American public is trying to like take ownership of it. Uh, And it's that same thing. If she's just a poor little woman, just out of control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, One of the other quotes that you include about her is like someone was talking about her and they said, she's a woman whose importance has been traced wholly by the men whom she attached herself. A woman who changed her wardrobe while other women changed their lives, which I kind of hate that someone would say that about her because we know now that she did so much but why do you think that people you know were and still do like underestimate her
1: I think for sure there was a frustration at the time that she wasn't doing more Mm -hmm. and that she wasn't doing more openly so I know like Gloria Steinem was very open about the fact of like I why is she not doing more for women Mm -hmm. and um and I think there's there could be a solid critique of like she did not actively participate in the civil rights movement um for sure she did some things privately but she was much and she was much more of a private operator i think but um i think there the disconnect is hard. I, part of it i don't know if you all are aware there's a, a gen z meme about jackie kennedy let each sheet metal because she looks like a gremlin or something um, and i think that I, not to judge the gen z people i think that speaks to how callous and horrible we are in our treatment of women and in, in the public sphere um and also just how she's either an object of mockery or an object of style and class like she's not multidimensional and and she's not someone who's who's i think could be a not everything has to be a survival narrative um but the fact that she did manage to live a fulfilling life and and you know do interesting things and pursue her interests and stuff like that after what happened to her, this just cataclysmic trauma, um, that's an amazing story. And the fact that that trauma is often belittled in, in media coverage and the public and stuff is, is really sad to me. And I hope this book will in some way kind of add nuances to that conversation.
2: Yeah. And obviously there are a lot of biographies about Jackie, and you say that you've read most of them, I'm sure since you were 12, you've had a lot of time (laughs) to kind of put them in. Uh, What do you think makes your retelling different or unique that Mm -hmm. people are going to take away from this, especially people who already know um, or have read other biographies about Jackie?
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, I do want to give a shout out to Wayne Kostenbaum's excellent Jackie Under My Skin, which I read when I was way too young, didn't (laughs) understand probably three quarters of it. Uh, I had not read Freud. I didn't even know. Um, but the writing, the writing was, and I, I sent him fan letters. <laughs> <laughs> so he knows, like, I've described it being like Dorothy going to Oz as a a kid who'd been writing, like, Murder, she wrote inspired mysteries and things since I was really young. Um, I read his writing and it was just like, what is this? Like, this is something, this is Technicolor. This is something totally new from everything I'd encountered before and not to dunk on Sweet Valley High. Um, but I, I really wanted I wanted it to be well written. And I think that's why it took so long because I was not a strong enough writer to tell the story that I've had since I was really, really young. Um so it took a lot of practice and a lot of rewriting and a lot of just throwing everything out and starting over. But um I really wanted, I wanted it to be trauma-informed biography, and I also wanted it to be biography with feeling. Mm. So even when I would read, when I read any biography, when someone dies at the end, I'm usually really moved and, like, weirdly depressed, mm. and it's because you just sat with a whole life, and you read it, and now they're gone. Uh, we are all far more complicated than any one book could convey, so this is not definitive. i It's like a placeholder until other archives open up and other people come along and write stuff um but I really wanted to create something some work of art that captures the uncertainty that occurs when we're alive because often biography is written with like and then she met this man and they married and this inevitably this was going to happen like you know you don't hear Jackie dated around you don't hear a ton about all of her dates (laughs) like all of our ex-boyfriends are not going to be or our our ex-partners and stuff are not going to be in in the biographies of us um but those are the like key relationships in our lives. And so trying to put some of the little the texture of lived experience into it and and also the fear and uncertainty that comes with being alive and that comes with grief and that comes with trauma. And so that it, it the reading of it, I hoped, would make readers feel something or not even make them, but that people would be would feel things when I read it that's my goal I want people to see it, I want to see it which is ambitious because we spent yeah. a lot of our lives trying to shut that down but yeah
0: <laughs> perfect and so I do want to talk because you said you spent a lot of time researching and writing this mm-hmm. book um and one of the things we like to ask people is did you get to travel anywhere did you get to go to places that you went I think I read you got to go on the Onassis yacht is that true
1: yes yes that
0: is so cool
1: I would encourage anybody who's writing a book to just shoot your shot and ask everybody for anything. And it's okay if it's embarrassing. <laughs> I'll kind of just do it. You never know what will happen. Um, yeah. When I moved to Britain for my PhD, I, I felt like there was a little bit of... People paid more attention when I was a doctoral student. I will say that. Um, and <laughs> then when I was a random person working in a marketing firm. But I... I think I read something in the guardian or something about how the yacht was in Chatham in in South, the South of Britain. And, uh, they were, it was the, it was for sale. And so I found the real estate agent and I emailed him and was like, Hey, what you doing? Can I come look at this someday? And he was like, yeah, he was, he was based in the U S and he was like, yeah, next time I come over to do a showing, I'll let you know. And you can come. So like, at least a year passed, and randomly this person emails me and is like, Hey, I'm going to be in town on Thursday. Can you come down to Chatham? I'll let you, you I'll be there you, showing it off. You can, you can come. Um I was like, what in the world am I doing? And so I went and I, I didn't have a car. I took the train and then had to walk a ridiculously far distance to the, the dock up a mountain. And it was just, it was, and it was pouring rain, like laterally. It was, it was just so dramatic. Um <laughs> And, and I, I, he was there and he was in a hazmat suit. I don't know why. Um, but he was showing it off to everybody, the, this, these corporate people that were going to buy, it, that were looking at it. Uh, and so he just let me wander around by myself for two oh. hours. And it was almost, it was almost too much time on the Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, once in a lifetime experience of seeing the body stools multiple times. And it was, it was very, very, Interesting and odd. And I'm not, maybe, I don't know if you all are, but I'm not someone who's spent much time on a yacht. And so, um, yeah, it's, I've always, like, the ceilings were very low. So I was like, Oh, this is like, I feel very closed in. And it was, it's always, it's very helpful, I think, to see, to, even just to go to the place, if you're not going in anyone's home or anything, just to go to a city where someone's been. Um, but, and I, I was able to do that with a number of places as well, but specifically that, um, I know they've modified it since then, but yeah, it was, it was my one moment was on, there's a lapis fireplace in the living room at the den. I don't know what they call it. But uh, I had a moment of like putting my hand there and being like, "Ah, sure, I know Jackie put her hand here once. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, like so cheesy. But also those are such replenishing moments in the writing process where you're like, okay, this is not I've not lost my mind. This is a valid pursuit, even though it comes down to like making contact with a lapis fireplace that I've read about once before. Um <laughs> but yeah, that was one moment. And then also I did become friends with the the nun who was Caroline Kennedy's catechism teacher. And we wrote letters and I was able to come and meet with her and see her. And so there were even I didn't do tons of interviews, but the interviews I did, it was really such a privilege to meet these people and and get to know them more and talk to them about their experiences and stuff. It was very, very cool.
2: Yeah, so you've been writing and reading about Jackie since you were young, middle school age. How do you feel like your relationship with her has changed over the years?
1: Well, I don't read as much about her anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that. I do look forward to reading my book once we're past the publicity phase when I don't have to, I don't have to be afraid of typos and things. Yeah. Um, I do look forward to it because I, I know the last few times I've edited it, I was, I've just sat and read it and been like, Oh, this is a really good book. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds so vain, but like, I, as, as the 12 year old who wanted this book, I feel like, um, it is really, you do get lost in it. And that's a really cool thing to have with you. That point where in your own writing where you don't read it like it's yours, you just read it like it's a good story. Yeah. That's very exciting. Um but yeah, I think I mean it's so interwoven into my life at this point. Uh her secretary who who kind of betrayed her by writing a memoir. The name of her memoir was My Life with Jacqueline Kennedy. And I think any celebrity that even if you're not a big fan of them. I I I have a life with Jessica Simpson because she's a contemporary of mine and I read about her for a long time and have encountered her life in headlines and stuff. Um so a lot of celebrities we wind up having these sort of parasocial relationships with them. And especially with her, like every almost ninety-nine percent of the cool things I've done in my life have been something to do with with her because of this book and because of this story that I felt like I needed to tell for so long. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been it's I, I think of her as my fairy godmother at this point. Like it's been yeah. such a gift to be able to try to not recreate, but just to put make turn her Put her life in artistic representation. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think you've done it. It's such a beautifully written book. I love the layout. I love the cover of it. It's so beautiful. I, it's beautiful. I, wait, wait,
1: wait. We have to give a shout out to Jubilee Burton, who's a 22 year old illustrator in London, and she is fantastic. And um, yeah, she's amazing and did this, and it's it's so perfect.
0: Yeah, it's perfect. beautiful. It really is. Yeah. It's bright. It pops. And it kind of, even from the get go, makes you mm-hmm. think. Okay. This is a little bit more of a modern retelling of her story. So mm-hmm. right off the bat, it's perfect. She's in her tortoiseshell sunglasses, mm-hmm. <laughs> reaching into her purse like all of us do. <laughs> yes, yes,
1: You can see her eyes through the glasses too. Yep. It's just amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> so we need to tell our listeners, where can they find you? Where can they find your book and, you know, just everything else that you've written or, or writing?
1: Um, where am I? I am on Instagram as Oline.eaton and on Twitter as Oline underscore Eaton and then on, um, I actually have like at least well over thirteen years of blogging about celebrity and media and and Jackie Kennedy dolls on Etsy as well at great length on um OlineEaton.com. And the book is available. There's an audio book where I read the prologue and an amazing performer does the rest of the book. There's, um, what else is there? I, I think it's available for Kendall as well. And then it will be in bookstores on the 31st.
0: Perfect.
2: That's so amazing. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and for adding this book to the amazing retellings
1: of women around the world. Thank you so, so much for having me. It's been delightful.